0: I want to welcome each of you to this uh, very first of our kind of fall chapels. We had convocation last Tuesday and now we launch into chapels and we start the year at Heritage. For those of you who are new with us, we start the year with what we call spiritual life emphasis week. And it's a special series of chapels, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in our first kind of full week together. And it's to uh, the hope is that it sets a tone, sets a tone for the entire year for our chapels and for our our time together, whether you're on campus or whether you're viewing us online, that this would be a trendsetter and a tone setter for us. When I was uh, the age of some of you in university or college, I went to a Christian college in California called Biola. And I would say, looking back, that some of my most spiritual significant decisions were made in chapels. I still can remember, it's been a bunch of years, I still can remember certain chapel services where God spoke to my heart in a way that shaped my heart and changed even the course in some ways the course of where I would head in the future so I'm praying that this year in our chapels God would be speaking in ways that you hear him and you are shaped and you are formed for a lifetime of service so that's what we're praying for we're praying with high hopes today what's going to happen is after I uh, pray for us our worship team's going to come and lead us in singing and uh, though we are masked in this room anyway we still want to sing our hearts out to the lord he is worthy of it so sing your heart to the lord and then after that we will have what we will often do in chapels a student testimony and today mitchell mowbray who's the president of student council is going to come and speak to us a little bit about what god's been doing in his life and then today i get the joy of preaching to you today and throughout spiritual life week so these next three days and i'll introduce my topic a little bit later but let me pray for us and then we will uh, sing our songs of praise together. Father, I thank you for chapel. I thank you for the ways that, as I look back over the course of my studies, whether it was in Christian college or in seminary, I thank you for the way that you met me through times of worship and singing, through times of prayer, through times of hearing your word preached. And I'm asking, Lord, today as we gather, we sing, as we hear Uh, a life story from Mitchell, and as we hear from your word that today you would help set a tone for this year for each of us, that our hearts would be wide open to you. And we pray this for the glory of your son Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Would you stand with me as we get ready to sing?
1: All right, good afternoon, everybody. Um, I'm really excited to be able to share with you guys today, and I just really hope that uh, you can really see the way that God has worked through me, uh, and the way that God has worked through Heritage in my life. Um, As Dr. Reed mentioned, my name is Mitchell Mowbray. I'm in my third year here at Heritage in my Bachelor of Theology Youth. And yeah, this is just a bit about me uh, and a bit about why I'm at Heritage. So I've been blessed to have grown up um, in an amazing um, Christian home. Both my parents have been very foundational in my life and have really guided me um, and have really helped me to be where I am today. Um, They, yeah, have been a really huge part in my walk, uh, in my faith. And as I've grown up, that has been a blessing and a bit of a hindrance as I've tried to figure out what my faith looks like for myself. Um, and part of that is my dad, his role is a youth pastor. And since I've grown up, I I never really looked at him and was like, I want to be a youth pastor. Um, I, if anything, was like, no, no, no. I want to go away from that. Like, he's been a youth pastor. That's great. That's not what I want to do. Um, and I had my own big ideas, my own big plans for what I wanted to do. Um, And like usual, my big plans kind of mean nothing. Um, So uh, God had much bigger plans, um, hence the reason I'm standing here and not doing something crazy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so God's plans uh, were much more important than my own. And that's basically what brought me here. a big part of my testimony is an organization called Coldwater Canada. For a lot of students, you've probably heard me mention it a lot. So sorry if I'm repeating it again. Um, but for those of you who don't know, uh, they lead wilderness uh, trips, mainly canoe trips for youth, and their focus is um, to develop, equip, and empower um, youth to be Jesus-centered leaders. And I started Uh, being involved with them when I was going into grade nine. So it's been like seven-ish years that I've been there during the summers. And through that ministry, but also through the people involved, uh, I've really learned a lot about myself as a leader, um, but also a lot of the ways that God is working in my life. Um, And Coldwater's also really helped me develop this passion for youth. A lot of the youth that we reach out to don't have the best lives. Um, a lot of them are either through CAS or we're able to sponsor a bunch of youth that aren't able to come. And through those experiences, I'm really able to see that, like, wow, my life is amazing. Um, I've been so blessed with the parents I have. I've been so blessed to meet Christ at such a young age. Um, and so I really started to develop this passion to just share uh, the love of Christ with others. And I really realized that youth, uh, like 13, 18, even a bit younger, are in such a formidable time of their lives. There's so much shaping, there's so much forming that goes on during those years. And through these summers experiences I had, I really started to realize, like, wow, like, I really want to continue to be involved uh, with youth in this way. I want to be able to help shape them. I want to be a positive and uplifting voice in their life. and that's kind of what started the wheels turning. Um, as getting to Heritage, I there's not really a definite point where I was like, well, I guess I go to Heritage. Honestly, it just kind of happened. An application was filled out, and then I was here. Um, so I I ended up coming here, and it just really speaks to the way that God can work in our lives, really. It's, it's not for me to understand. It's not for me to grasp. Um, but obviously God has a bigger plan. So yeah, that's that's how I ended up here. Uh, and again, I'm in my third year, so it hasn't been a crazy long time. But in the two and a bit years that I've been here, I've already seen my life transformed in so many ways. Um, in this short time, I've learned a lot about the Bible, about theology, about doctrine, about all these big words, um, and a lot of what they mean, and all this stuff. And I just skipped over a lot of that and didn't do it justice. But that isn't necessarily my biggest takeaway. All of that stuff's important. Um, The learning and the intensity of the learning, that is super crucial and so important in my faith and in my life. But that hasn't been the biggest highlight or the biggest takeaway. Through classes, community life, events, sports, um, local outreach, mission chapels, chapels and Just everything else. I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned who I am as a follower of Christ, who I am as a child of God, and who I am as a leader. And in each of those areas, I've learned these through a lot of different ways. Um, I've learned how to live in community. Community isn't easy. I've been in quite a few communities before, uh, but there's something about an intense um, and very medium, I guess, sized community, there's something about just being together with people all the time um, that really helps you learn how to get along with people, but also how to lead uh, when you're not in charge, how to be involved in community and be an example in community, um, even if you're not necessarily running the show. Um, I've also learned that, uh, or it's also helped me to better understand my Bible, how to read it, how to study and how to learn from it. Um, Again, all those big um, truths and big theology words that we learn, super important, but they also have super practical sides. And that's really helped me to know how to study my Bible, how to uh, properly read it. Learning the original language is difficult, um, but it's very rewarding. Uh, And through classes, but also through fellowship with um, all you guys, it really helps to just study, to learn um, from my Bible as my source of life. Um, Yeah, It also has helped me, and I think this is probably the biggest one, to see the need to love and understand others first. I've learned a lot over the last couple of years it's pretty easy to judge. It's pretty easy to form opinions very quickly um, and to cast people out for certain things or to not accept people for other things. And that's just not what we're supposed to do. Uh, Being at Heritage has really taught me That I need to love and I need to seek to understand first Um, and that's what Christ has done for us and that's what I need to exemplify and show to the people around me it's not easy I fail a lot Um, but that's probably one of my biggest takeaways is that I'm just here to love and I'm here to follow Christ's example in that so over the next two years and Who knows, maybe more. Um, I look forward to continue to learn and grow at Heritage, um, and I'm excited for what's upcoming. Thanks, guys.
0: I really appreciate you uh, giving us a little bit of a glimpse into how God's worked in your life, coming to Heritage, but also here. And we're glad for your role serving with student leadership and um, one of the things that the student leadership team does each year is that they choose a passage of scripture that they want to kind of be kind of front and center that they they believe would be a theme passage for us and this year they have chosen a passage from ephesians chapter 4 the first uh, opening verses of that section so i thought that since this is the first official chapel I would uh, go to where they have gone and choose to speak to you about the theme that our student council has chosen for this year. It's a very, very timely theme, because in Ephesians chapter 4, guess what the big theme is? Unity. It's going to talk about unity, and I think they chose it knowing that that would be a very relevant theme for our world, but also for our campus. If, uh, if you know, if you look around in society, you know that we are a fractured society Last night, the, uh, the election results came in from the federal election, and it shows that Canadians across the country are still pretty divided in terms of the makeup of what we want our leadership to be. We're not all united in that. And while that concerns me, at times I'm much more concerned about whether or not we as God's people, as the church, are able to live in unity. The wider culture has a real challenge, but what is it for us The past 18 months for many, many churches and many, many Christians have been rather fractured and fractious as well. And I've talked to many who are in ministry who have said, boy, these have been some hard years because i got dear friends that don't see things the same as the other dear friends and there's been conflict, there's been tension. So today I want to go to the passage that our team has chosen for this year and talk to you about maintaining unity. What's that going to look like for us as a community here at Heritage? What will that look like for your churches, where you're a part of? What will that look like for your uh, dorm, your residence room? What will that look like for the groups of believers that you're a part of? I want to talk to you about maintaining unity, what it is, and how do you do it? What would it take from you? What will it take from me? What will it take from all of us? That's where we're going this morning. So would you join me, if you haven't done already, in Ephesians chapter 4. And today I'm going to look at verses 1 to 6. And talk to you about maintaining unity. Uh, We've prayed, but let me just invite the Lord to help me as I speak to you. Lord, today I have this joyful privilege and responsibility to speak your words to your people. And Lord, I ask that you would help me to be faithful to what you've said, because your word is truth. But I also pray that you would help all of us to be responsive to what you say Because your word is meant to change us, to shape us. And may the result be that we would live out in a way that please you. We live worthy of our calling and we would live in unity as your people. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Let me just begin by reading uh, the passage and then making some observations from it. Listen to it as I read. One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Right from the beginning, you learn from these verses a first truth that I want you to hang on to. Right from the outset, you learn this truth. That maintaining unity is both a top priority and a big challenge. Like these verses are going to make it clear that when it comes to unity, maintaining that unity... It's a top priority. It's a big deal to God. It should be a big deal to us. So it's a top priority, but it's also a big challenge. Evidently, this will not be all that easy. say, well, how do you know that? Well, let's look at our text a little more closely. He begins in verse 1 by calling Christians to live in a manner worthy of our calling. And he goes on in one long sentence through verse 3. To finish up by saying, walking worthy of our calling is going to be making us eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So here's what I do. You put those two thoughts together and you want to live worthy of your calling, then you're going to have to live in unity. That's what he seems to be saying. You're going to have to work towards this. You're going to have to care about this. This needs to be a top priority. You get the idea of a top priority because in verse 3 he says, we are to be eager Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Your translation might say, be diligent to maintain. Some translations say, make every effort to maintain, to preserve. So it's like you're you're working hard at this. He says, top priority. Make this like at the top of your... When you think about what God wants from you, when you think about what God wants from us, he says, we're supposed to be eager. Give it full attention, full effort to maintain unity. So it's a top priority, okay? But you also know from verse 3 and from the whole book of Ephesians, it's going to be a big challenge. It's going to be a big challenge. This is not going to be easy. We're all for unity, but it's not easy to make it happen. Did you notice verse 3 says, eager to maintain the unity? Like, you're going to have to maintain this. Some of you have cars. Some of you have older cars. And you'll especially know what this feels like. If you're going to keep that car on the road, you have to maintain it, or at least have somebody who knows what they're doing maintain it, right? Because if you do nothing to your old car, I've had old cars. When Linda and I were first married, and actually right before we got married, I was going to school, I had no money like everyone else had no money, and I bought a car for 100 bucks. It was a Chrysler Newport. It seated eight adults. Like, it, you could have a whole volleyball team in this car. It was huge. And I got the thing for a hundred bucks. Well, it was worth every penny. And uh, to keep that thing on the road, it took constant maintenance, right? And if you've got an older car, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't maintain it, guess what happens? It breaks down, right? Did you know that within the body of Christ, unity is a bit like that? Evidently, you have to maintain it or it breaks down. Now that's that's the case because when you think about what's in the church we're not an old car but we are a diverse group. In the book of Ephesians the context for chapter 4 is the lead up is chapters 1, 2 and 3. And in those chapters The Apostle Paul makes this astounding point that God has decided to do something that humanly is impossible. He's bringing people from diverse backgrounds into one group called the church. Chapter 2 is this powerful thing about how he brings Jews and Gentiles together into the church. Now if you know a little bit about religious history, if you know about first-century Judaism, about what was going on in the culture at this time, You know that Jews and Gentiles weren't naturally best friends, right? They weren't like each other, and generally they didn't like each other. In fact, chapter 2 talks about them being hostile and alienated. So left to themselves, they're going to stay apart, or when they do get together, they're going to fight. And now in the church, God brings them together in one group and says, okay, now you're all part of my family. Now, if that's going to work, if that was going to work in Ephesus, if that's going to work here, you're going to have to work to maintain the unity. Otherwise, it's going to break down. We're a group of people who come from a variety of backgrounds. If we had time to go around and hear every one of your backstory, where you're from, if we heard where you live, what church you go to, what's your family of origin background, maybe where your parents or your grandparents came from, We would find that in this one room, and those who are watching, it would just multiply it. We would find that just in this one small sample size, we are a very diverse group. We have different opinions. We have different values in so many areas. We have different tastes and temperaments. And the Bible says we are called, if we're Christians, into one body, the body of Christ. And now he says, I want you to get along. And to do that, it's going to have to be a top priority and it's going to be a big challenge. So you say, well, how's this going to happen? How are people like us here at Heritage, how are we going to be able to maintain the unity? Well, our text tells you two things. There's more than two, but our text focuses on two things, that if you will do, if I will do, this will be part of the maintenance of keeping unity among us. So I want you to take what I'm about to say very personally, take it from the Lord as you see it in Scripture, but then take it to heart as you see it in your own life, Let me show you two things that are required of any of us if we're going to maintain the unity. The first one comes out of verses 1 and 2 and 3, and I'd put it this way. Unity is maintained by love. Unity is maintained by love. Mitchell spoke about learning to love here on campus, learning to love. It's not always easy. And if we're going to have a unified campus, if you're going to have a unified church, it's going to have to be maintained by love. In verse 2, Paul gives four expressions of love, four ways that love shows up to maintain the unity. Look at him. Look at verse 2. He says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then look what he says, verse 2, with all humility. Humility. That means you just don't have an oversized view of your own importance. It means that you're humble enough to know that the world doesn't revolve around you that other people, in fact, we're to treat others as more honorable and more valuable than ourselves. So we're, we're humble people. Jesus was that way. He was the Lord of all, and he washed feet. So he calls us to be humble, with humility. The second one, look at verse 2, with humility and gentleness. He says if you want to show love in a way that maintains unity, you got to learn to treat people gently. Nobody feels loving when they're treated harshly. Have you ever had somebody rip a strip off you verbally? Did you walk away feeling really loved? Well, no, but did you ever have somebody disagree with you, but do it in a gentle way? You may have still walked away feeling like, oh, man, we didn't get in the same place, but man, I was treated well. He says, so with humility, with gentleness. Look at the third thing, with patience. The Greek word there is sometimes translated long-suffering. So it implies that there are going to be people that test your patience. Right? That uh, you're going to be quick to go, Ah, I've had enough of this. He goes, No, no, no. You've got to love, and love's going to look like patience. And then the fourth thing, he says in verse 2, is bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another. That implies that sometimes people are a bear to live with, if you have to bear with them. Right? That, That implies that sometimes people feel unbearable. But he said, No, no, no. I want you to bear with one another in love. Now, I said at the outset, I want you to try to take this personally. This is what the Lord says is going to be asked of you and asked of me if we are going to have a campus that is marked by unity. It means I have to take this personally. I need to be a person who's humble and who's gentle and who's patient and who bears with others in love, and so will you. Now. That takes the grace of God. That takes the graces of His Spirit. You have to grow into that. Mitchell mentioned that, you know, you got to learn. It's not always easy. Let me tell you how God used my college, and I'll focus on seminary here, my seminary experience to start shaping me to learn to love towards unity. When I was in seminary, my first three years, uh, I lived as a single man in the men's dorm. Linda and I got married after my third year at seminary. And uh, she was studying out at Wycliffe, being a Bible translator. And so we got married, so we then we moved off campus. But those first three years, I lived in the men's dorm. And the first day, there was a guy down my hall. There's about 40 or 50 of us in this dorm. There was a guy down the hall right from me named Ron. And right from the beginning, Ron rubbed me the wrong way. Ron was loud. Ron was large and in charge. Ron loved to talk about himself. He would tell you what amazing thing he had just been doing. And when I first met him, I was really put off by that. I was just thinking, yikes, this guy has got an ego that is oversized and I I just want nothing to do with this guy. But he lived two doors down from me. And worse yet, we got put on the same committee in a missions group. I remember kneeling down by my bed and saying, Lord, you're going to have to help me. I really don't like this guy, Ron, and yet we have to work together. How can this possibly be? And then I began to get to know Ron. And I began to see that behind the bluster, behind kind of his temperament, which was always kind of sucking the oxygen out of the room, always kind of large and intimate, behind all of that, there was a guy who at times was very insecure. And there was a guy who actually had a very warm and loyal heart. And over the next couple of years, Ron and I not only became friends. We became good friends, and we've stayed lifelong friends. And that happened because God had to change me. You see, when I first met Ron, I wasn't too humble. I saw him as kind of like a problem case. I wasn't all that gentle. I just kind of dodged him. I wasn't patient. I thought, I've had enough of this guy. I didn't want to bear with him, but God put me in a scenario where he said, Rick, I've got to work on you. This is not about Ron right now. It's about you. Can I say to you, my brothers and sisters, I have every suspicion that God will do that for you this year. I have every suspicion that he will orchestrate your life so that you get to practice Ephesians 4 too. He will put people into your life, maybe in your residence hall, maybe in your class, maybe in your church. He's going to put people in your life that are going to say, I need your humility, I need your gentleness, I need your patience, I need your bearing with one another love. I have a hunch that that's part of God's curriculum for every single one of us here today. And the reason it's important is because if you want to maintain unity, it's going to take love. So you say, okay, so if we want unity, all we have to do is love each other, right? We just need to love. Make heritage a love fest, and we're all good. And I'd say, well, well, not so fast. There's actually a second thing you need if you want to have unity among God's people. The second thing comes out in verses 4, 5, and 6. And the second thing we're going to find in verses 4, 5, and 6 is that unity is not only maintained by love, catch this, unity is maintained by truth. It's maintained by truth. Unity is maintained by love. Yes, yes, yes. But that's not the whole picture. Unity is maintained by truth. And in verses 4, 5, and 6, the Apostle Paul hammers home seven truths that are foundational to the Christian faith. He's saying we unite around these truths. Let me read them for you again. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. In other words, Paul just starts talking about love, and then he goes, hey, wait a second, but don't think that doesn't mean we don't care about truth. We do. We unite around truth. Now, that's really important for you and I to hear, because you and I live in a culture that says if you want to be united to people, what you need to do is park your doctrine at the door, park your beliefs at the door, and just say it's all good. Whatever you believe is what you believe, and it doesn't matter as long as we love each other. And the Bible comes in and says, Well, there you can have a superficial kind of unity if you do that, but you won't have deep unity. If you want to have deep level unity, you're gonna to have to be united around some things you both say, I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. So Paul says it's going to take truth. And he gives you seven things that are like core foundational truths for the Christian faith. Look at them with me. There's one body. He's talking about one body, the body of Christ, the church. Chapter 2, he's just laid that out. The church is made up of Jews and Gentiles, of people from all over. There's only one body. There are local expressions in your local church, but we're part of this global family, this global body of Christ. Christ is the head. We are his body. Second thing he says in verse 4, there's one spirit. He's just said in chapter 2, the end of verse 2, verse 22, in him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who brings us together. So there's one Holy Spirit. The next thing he says there in verse 4 is there's one hope, one hope to your calling. I think he's talking about the eternal inheritance that we look forward to. Today I called a woman who has been a friend of heritage for a long time. And after sixty years, she had to say goodbye to her husband who passed away at the end of August. And I called her and we shared a few tears over the calling. Can you imagine being married? She said, I knew him seven years before we were married. Then we were married for sixty years. Sixty seven years of her life has been linked to one man and now he's gone. There is I said to her, I said, You know, you have a wound in your heart that won't be healed until heaven. She said, that's right. And I said, but isn't it glad, isn't it good we have this hope? And she's hanging on. She said, my husband, Ted, he knew the Lord. He's with the Lord. And one day soon, I'm going to be reunited with him. See, we have this hope, this blessed hope. This life is not all we get, brothers and sisters. There is an eternity ahead. And you've been called to have this hope, to hang on to it. My wife, Linda, is speaking recently, or will be speaking on how this hope is an anchor. It keeps you tethered when your life is stormy. you got this one hope. He says, we believe that. Next thing he says in verse 5, he says, there's one Lord, one Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, there's one faith. He could mean there's one faith in that there's one, there's one body of truth that we hold on to that we call the faith. But he also could mean there's one faith. There's one kind of saving faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of work so no one should boast. In other words, he's saying there's this one faith. God put in your heart the ability to believe in Jesus. You heard about the fact that he died for your sins. He rose from the grave. And at some point in your life, I trust you said to him, "I'm in. I believe this. And you put your faith in Christ. And he said, that's true for every Christian. Every person around the world who's a Christian has had that moment where they put their faith in Jesus. We're united with that. So once there's one Lord, one faith. Then there's one baptism, verse 5. Probably speaking about the baptism of the Spirit that happens when you become a Christian, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says you are baptized into one body. You're placed into one body. And your water baptism is an expression of that. Finally, verse 6, there's one God and Father of all who's over all, through all, and in all. So he completes the Trinity, Spirit, Lord Jesus Christ, and Father. Now these are the things, my brothers and sisters, that unite us. There are many secondary truths that we can be different on. If you went around here, we would say, there are some things that maybe about Scripture that we see a little differently. For you, it might be your view of spiritual gifts might be different than the person sitting next to you. It could be your understanding of end time events. You'd say, well, I kind of think it's going to roll out this way based on what I read in the Bible. It could be your views on how you should respond to government when it comes to regulations like masks and vaccines. It could be different among us. But what Paul is saying is below all of that, there is this foundation of things that we all go, I'm in on that. There are core bedrock truths, and you can't have unity if you don't unite around those core truths. Some of you were up on the -the off-the-grid retreat this past week. How many of you got to go on that? Okay, a bunch of you. I want you to imagine that your group, I don't know, there was 20 or so folks up there. Your group is out in one of the forests because you were off the grid, right? You were out in the forest. But imagine you were out in this forest. There's no roads. It's just trees everywhere you can see. And you are told as a group, hey, listen, listen, your whole group needs to head to a place. It is due north of here. And that's where you're going to get food. That's where you're going to find shelter. That's where you're going to get help. So your whole group, you've got to go due north. So after you hear that, you all look at each other and go, okay, well, let's head out. Well, which way is true north? And somebody goes, well, I kind of think it's that way. And then somebody else goes, no, 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 no. I was looking at the sun. I'm pretty sure it's that way. If everybody's just going to go by what they think True North is, do you think your group is going to stay together? Probably not. You're going to fracture into a variety of places. But imagine one of you pulls out a compass. I've got a little compass here that I was given. And so you line it up, and you everyone huddles around you to say, well, let me, let me get the compass here, because actually it's going to point to True North. If you all agree to go by the compass, you will stay together and you'll find your way home. This is your compass. This is the truth. This points you true north. And if you and I are going to stay together, we got to love each other. But we also have to be headed in the same direction. And that's why unity is maintained by love. Mu- unity is maintained by truth. So let me wrap up by giving you one last challenge. As I've gotten to know people and know my own heart over the years, here's what I've found. Some of you are good on love, and some of you are big on truth. But a lot of us aren't good on both. Right? Like some of you here today, you'd say, you know what, I think unity is all about love, and you will be gentle, and you will be kind, and you will be long-suffering, and you'll think, that's what i got to be. And I say to you, exactly right, but that's not all. Those of you who are really strong on relationships, those of you who are strong on love, you need to be reminded that truth does matter. We're not just gathered together because we all like each other. We're gathered together because we have come to confess Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the Lord of our life. We, there are truths we believe. So those of you who are strong in love, help us out. We need you. We need you to set a tone on campus that is marked by all the things Paul said and Verse 2, humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another. We need that. But my word to you is, don't downgrade doctrine. Don't give up on truth. It's really important. But then let me talk to the other side of you. There's some of you here that are really strong on truth. You can sniff out theological air from a great distance. You delight to sit around and parse fine theological truths and even debate what the Bible says about this or that. Truth matters to you. And what I would say to you is, that's great. We need you. We need you to help us stay tethered to the truth. But my challenge to you is, you know where I'm going with this one. You've got to speak the truth in love, as it says in Ephesians 4.15. See, Bible colleges can breed students that get arrogant and get fighting over things. They love to, there's students that will come around and say, let's arm wrestle about this truth. Let's have a fight. Let's duel it out on this one. And it can become an intramural sport on a campus like ours. And what I'm saying to those of you who really care about truth is remember this. Truth has to be wrapped in love. And the way you talk about truth with others still needs to be marked by gentleness, humility, patience and bearing with one another. So if we're going to be a campus that's united, we're going to have to guard against relational rifts and doctrinal downgrades. We're going to have to be marked both by love and by truth. And it's my desire that this year God grows us in both. Let me just give you a moment to pray silently and ask yourself this question, Lord, where do I need to grow to help in this area? Are you kind of on the relational side? And God's saying, use that, but grow in the area of truth. Are you on the truth side, where God is saying, keep that, but don't give up on love? Why don't you talk to him personally, and then I'll pray for us in just a minute. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the collection of men and women who are a part of the journey this year at Heritage. I thank you for each one because you brought them here for our good and their growth. And Lord, you know the curriculum you have for each one of us. For some of us, we're going to have to learn to love in ways we've never loved before. And we need your Holy Spirit to pour out his love in our hearts so we can actually show that to others. For some of us, Lord, we need to shore up what we believe and not just waffle and waver not be tossed on the winds and waves by every new thought or doctrine we need to tether ourselves to truth may this be a year where in chapel in classes in our own study you take us deep into your word and tie us closely to what you say is true and right and may the campus be known as a place of love and truth and may our churches be known as places of love and truth And that will happen if our lives are marked by love and truth. So, Lord, I'm praying for that, starting with me, but going to each and every other one. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, brothers and sisters. We'll see you tomorrow. You're dismissed.